I do one, do two, three, four. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling okay. Five, six, I'm like, oh, seven, eight was getting rough. In my head, I'm like, I just have to get double digits. You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today we're sitting down with Evan Harden, who was just talking about the first time he did 10 muscle-ups in front of a crowd. Muscle-ups are like pull-ups, but way harder. I do eight, I do nine. I was like, oh God. Evan, who goes by OG, is a bar athlete. In other words, he practices calisthenics. It's a rigorous form of strength training where people hang sideways from poles, balance on one hand. Pull-ups and, and muscle-ups and jumping over the bar, they're flying around. It's a practice that requires a lot of focus. And he found that focus at a very young age when he was caught in a shooting that almost cost him his life. It went through my right arm, back in the, my right side, bounced off my right rib, and the bullet went down my back and stopped less than an inch from my spine. Years later, OG has recovered and become an advocate for calisthenics. He founded the National Bar League so that bar athletes like him could connect and compete. And he even designed a bar park in South Philadelphia so that kids, adults, whoever, could also fall in love with calisthenics. And I thought to myself, damn, if I left that day, what would I be remembered as? And that's a real question that, you know, you, you ask yourself. Some people ask it way down the line because mortality doesn't hit them. But for me, it happened very early. And I was like, I want to leave something behind. I want to leave a place a little better than I found it. OG's story now on Philly Who. Just a heads up, there is some graphic detail of what it's like to be shot in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. All right, so before we begin, I gotta insist that you take a moment to check out the Philly Who Instagram at podphillywho or the website podphillywho.com just so you can see a picture of this week's guest, Evan O.G. Harden. When you see photos and videos of OG, and especially when you meet him in person, you can tell how resilient and resourceful he is because he is totally jacked. Now, it takes an insane amount of discipline and focus to achieve peak physical fitness like he has to begin with, but he's managed to do it with a bullet still lodged an inch away from his spine. And yes, his near-death experience on the streets of West Philly at 16 years old gave him perspective that most people double that age don't even have. But OG was actually showing signs of his resilience and resourcefulness at half that age. I was maybe eight years old, and it was one birthday I didn't have any balloons or something. It wasn't a big deal to me, but my mom showed me how to make a balloon out of paper, like an origami paper. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And you know, I'm little, so I'm making them, I'm showing other kids in school. And my really good friend, Jahi, he was a little artist, so he would draw on the paper a little character. And then when I folded it, you can blow it up and look on the inside and see the character. And I started selling them as Christmas tree ornaments. You just little put a little string and if you can look inside and see a character. And that was like my first little thing I was doing to just sell something. So, I mean, do you remember thinking like, yo, I should make these Christmas ornaments and sell them? like? What eight-year-old thinks that? <laughs> I, well, they had snacks, and I wanted some snack money. So I was like, oh, these can, the snack was about 50 cents. I want to. So I was like, I can sell these for a dollar. It took me some effort to fold these. And, oh, look, you can blow it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. And people like, sure, take my snacks. Yeah, and I'm, I'm eight. So who doesn't want to support a little 
you know, just eight-year-old in school, you oh, know, yeah. asking my friend's parents, hey, you want to buy this? Yeah. And then you get an extra bag of chips. That's like Christmas, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you get to trade it for somebody else's snack. You know, you never know. So it was good. That's great. So at that point, like if someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have said? You know, I was so heavy in the video games. I was like, I want to be a video game designer. I just want to work in video games and be all around it when I was that age. What were your favorite games? I was in the fighting games, so all like Mortal Kombat, a lot of adventure games. When PlayStation dropped, I was all in, but even before Sega games, and I was just always around them. So I thought I was like, hey, I'm gonna definitely be a video game designer or something. So then at what point did that change that you stopped thinking that you would get into, you know, video games as a profession? I never got heavy into, you know, computer graphics or anything on that side. And then my dad was always the one to tell me, get out the house and go play. So as I got older, it kind of lost this feel for me. I wasn't like pushing that. I wasn't looking for schools with computer graphics or anything. You know, my interest just changed. So that kind of faded away. It was like, oh, I just want to learn about business. Okay. And, and how did you go about learning about business? So I was fortunate enough to watch my dad go through an entrepreneurial journey. He patented some products. I saw him go from the front porch of our house to having his own manufacturing factory that I helped paint and work out of. And watching him go through those different things and even being able to reflect on the difficulties he may have faced in having a family and starting his own company, I got to see it firsthand. And so I was already kind of mentally prepared and saw the advantages of stepping out on your own. You make your own rules. You do what you want to do. So once I saw that in high school, through college, I'm doing that. That's what really sparked it for me. Do you remember any specific, I guess, things that you saw him do or you're like, wow. Growing up, our porch was our playroom where we had the TV, we had the video game set up. So me and my little brother, we would go on the porch and the first thing that was that went was the porch and it turned into his office. You know, just watching, going from him having an income to now he's bootstrapping a company our lifestyle changed, how we, you know, went about handling things changed. It was very comfortable when he had the job, but going through the sacrifices with him, we all felt it, but nobody really complained. What were the sacrifices? So certain things you were used to aren't there anymore, like vacations. When you go to the store and you're like, dad, can I get this? The, the yes doesn't come as fluidly because there's other responsibilities. It was just tough for a moment, but to see it go from the front porch to I was helping paint the factory. There's heavy machinery spitting out things that he's making and I'm drawing it from the machine. You see that and you see what's possible. Like, oh, it was just hard a minute ago and now it's getting better. And then, you know, he got a presidential award and he got all these other awards for what he was doing. And that was really inspiring to me. It's like, wow, like you can do it. That's that you can do that, you know? And it, I was so young that it didn't seem like it wasn't normal. And you thought, I want to do this too. Yeah. I just got to find a thing. Yeah. yeah. What was his thing? He patented a certain way to put protein inside of snack food. So before all the big protein snacks were what they were, he was at that forefront. He had his own snack foods of protein chips and stuff like that. And it started on the porch and then pretty soon there was a whole factory. There was a factory. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So we're, we're in high school, right? In high school, you know, I played football and I trained really hard. You know, I, I was always in the weight room, always wanted to be there, always wanted to work hard. Again, didn't play before high school. So 
I was also very early learning on how the game worked. Uh, I just know I wanted to stay in shape. I wanted to work out and I wanted to be amongst my friends. I wanted to hang out with everybody after school. After school, after football practice, it was in October. And it's coming home from, from football practice. It's walking, normal walk up the hill from the L getting off at 60th Street, normal walk home, stopped by my Nana's house. Everybody's in the neighborhood. Said hi to the family, further walked home. Everybody's close. And as I'm coming home, I bump into a neighborhood friend of mine. Said, hey, you want to, you know, take a walk? I'm going to get something to eat. You know, you want to join me? So I come back out. We meet up. We walk around the corner, not too far from the house, to the Chinese store. Grab some food. She grabs whatever she ordered. And as we're walking back, we make it about two blocks. And if you ever, have you ever felt the wind knocked out of you before? That impacting feeling is probably what I all of a sudden felt in my whole entire body. I'm walking in short street and I stopped dead in my tracks and feel probably when the hardest impacts hit me. And I'm like, like, I'm looking down, like, what was that? And I start hearing shots go off. So there's a truck right at that corner. I'm not, I'm not knowing what's aware, but I hear the shot. So I duck down behind the truck and I look down and I see them bleeding. And my instinct, I never got shot before, but I'm like, I think I got shot. I think like I felt the hit. I don't. So I look down, I see the bleeding and my natural instinct is I take off running. I run up the next block and I just start going and I got really winded very fast. And looking back, it's some, some parts to me are a little, little comical, like, uh, so as I'm walking, I call my mom, I'm like, mom, very calmly. I don't know why I'm this calm, but I'm very calmly, mom, I got shot. Uh, she said, Evan, where are you? And I said, I'm around the corner. I don't know if she believed me because of how calm I was. And I said, I'm around the corner. And I tell her what street I'm on, but she's like, Evan, come home. I said, mom, I'm serious. I got shot. She was like, Evan, I'm gonna kill you. Come home. I was like, and then that's when I, you know, I was like, mom, I got fucking shot. And she's like, all right, where are you? And then I tell her. And then I'll go up the street. I'm still walking. The, the lady I was with, she's on her phone. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, what do I do? And I know she's panicking. And I look, look at her. I'm like, you can call 911. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's Might be call. a good idea. Yeah, you can call 911. <laughs> and I get to the corner and I sit down because I'm starting to run out of breath. And she says, you know, we have to get back up. I said, why? She said, I told the cops you're going to be on the next block. I said, for what? They come to you. They, they come, <laughs> they come to us. Come here. They come here. They so, have a car. So we go to the next block and a police car comes and picks me up. And I did not get an ambulance. Police cars are very hard and they have this hard bump in the back seat. So I was very uncomfortable laying. You were laying down. I was laying down in the back of the cop car and my mom met at the same time. And this is like, I'm 16. It's probably the first time I ever saw my mom crying. And uh, so I'm like, it's cool. Everything be all right. How did you feel? It's very weird to explain what was running through my head. After seeing my mom cry, I didn't want her sad anymore. I was like, I hope I'm good because I don't want her sad. And there were a bunch of just different things running through my head. I, like, I didn't know what to think, honestly, because even the thought of dying didn't necessarily cross my mind because how do you know what that feels like? Right. You know, I'm, I'm just in pain. It hurts. And I don't know what's going on inside the cops talking to me. And I just remember being very polite to everybody because I'm in so much pain. All I'm thinking in my head is I don't want anybody to treat me bad because I'm hurting. Yeah. So the cops asking me these questions, like, how's it feel? Does it burn? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And he's, he's asking me about my family. And I, 
understand he's trying to, you know, keep me coherent, keep me right. talking to him. So Almost I'm answering. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to him. So we get to the hospital. They open the car door and they say, you have to get yourself out. I guess they couldn't find a way to help me out of a backseat of the car. So I get myself out the car. And uh, was that hard? No, I just sat up and scooted out. It, it was, you know, I couldn't move. So the bullet, when it hit me, it went through my right arm, came out my right arm, back in the, my right side, bounced off my right rib, and the bullet went down my back and stopped less than an inch from my spine. So when I saw the x-rays, like I was like, wow, you know, I'm very blessed and lucky. So one of the ways that changed how I thought and think about things. So I get myself out the cop car. I always carry my book bag with me. So if you know me, you see me with my book bag and I turn back to grab my book bag out the cop car. And he's like, oh, don't leave that. And I was like, well, if you want to make me get out by myself, I'm gonna grab my stuff. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what made me think about that. So I'm bleeding. I grab my book bag and then I hand it to them. <laughs> and then they pull out the stretcher and uh, they take me in and, you know, I go through the procedure with, you know, there's lights and doctors. And I just remember, I didn't want to go through surgery being awake. So every three seconds I kept, I'm not, I'm, I'm not asleep. I'm not like, they were trying to put me out, but I was like, kept opening my eyes. You just, didn't want, was, you didn't want to. I, whatever they were doing, what I, I just knew there was a bullet. I knew I was shot. And I knew they would have to do something. My mind's going to like, I've seen ER shows and yeah. stuff, you know, whatever you're about to do, wait till I'm passed out or yeah, something. Yeah. And, oh. but one thing they did do when I was awake was they had to drain blood out of my lungs. So when they cut open my side and put a tube in, when they opened that valve to let the blood out, I didn't even realize I wasn't able to breathe until they did that. I didn't realize how much I wasn't breathing. So when they released that, I was like, I was like, oh wow, I wasn't, I wasn't even breathing. Didn't even realize that I was not taking these deep breaths or anything. So like went through that whole process, woke up. When I woke up, I was in the hospital. My mom was next to me. My, I had a football game the next day. I was really excited for the football game. So I remember telling my dad, like, tell the coach I can't make it. I'm, so, I just want to be there. And they dedicated that game to me. They won. And, and my coaches brought in the game ball. I remember my coach coming in and all I could eat was ice chips. So he comes in and, you know, they're obviously trying to comfort me. And my coach is like, hey, brother, want some, want me to feed you some ice chips? And, <laughs> and the thought of a big guy, you know, spoon feeding me ice chips. I was like, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> oh, I'm just picturing that. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm okay. Thank you. That's so great I, that I, they offered though. Yeah, I, I, I knew where it came from, but, you know, I was like, you don't, you don't have to feed me ice chips. Thank you. But... <laughs> So was there was there a moment throughout this where you were worried for your life? I mean, like like I said, I don't maybe growing up in my neighborhood and you just see the things that you see, gun violence is kind of normalized. I I was more worried for my family. My mom crying right before that, you know, let you know like people will miss you. I was like I don't I don't want that. I, so I never thought about myself. Well, I would hate to for my mother to go through that or or my family, you know. I still want to be there for my brother and sister and stuff like that. So I, it never crossed my mind like, oh, I might not make it tonight. So what was the prognosis as this happened? I mean, what did the doctors tell you was going to happen to you? You know, they left the bullet in. They told me it was safer to leave the bullet in than to take it out. It's still sitting next to my spine. They had to, you know, do exploratory surgery on me, open up my abdomen to say if it hit anything else. It didn't. God, God bless it. It didn't. I was in the hospital for about a week. They told me I couldn't eat food because of the anesthesia. They told me I couldn't eat food till I, you know, passed gas or so it showed something that my digestive system was working again. 
So I was like, oh, I can't wait to fart. Like, I'm just <laughs> so like, I yeah, I can, so I can have something to eat. It's been like four days. So uh, I get home and the anesthesia, all the medicine, all the things blocking the pain were off. Not even consciously realizing that I was on those things to hold off a lot of the pain. So when I got home after about a week, that's when all the real pain from recovery came in. Worst back spasms I ever had in my life. I couldn't laugh. If I laughed, the pain was was horrible. And on top of that, all my friends were the class clowns. So when everybody came to visit me, all my friends were the class comedians. So I couldn't hang out with my friends because they were all cracking jokes. And I, I couldn't, I laughed, but be in pain. So I, I ended up, I remember one night I ended up having to eat outside because my friends were cracking so many jokes at the table. I couldn't. You had to leave the room. I, I had to leave the room because I couldn't laugh and eat. And and I was in so much pain. You know, my mom put on funny movies. They have a weird way of, you know, trying to appreciate that you're still here. You know, right, was, but how do you, in a moment like this, you're in so much pain. This has just happened to you. How do you stay positive when you can't laugh? I laughed through it anyway. You know, I remember my mom putting on Dracula Dead and Loving it, and it was like an older movie. I was laughing at the jokes and I was in tears. And my mom was like, do you want me to turn it off? I was like, no, just, just let it go. Cause like, I was just laughing through it and holding myself with a, with, uh, with a pillow and trying, it was just, it felt good. You know, like I'm going to feel the pain, whether if I'm not laughing, it's going to come up, you know? So like, it, it felt good to to just stay positive and keep laughing because after something like that, you you do have, you know, negative thoughts and a little, you know, post-traumatic stress and stuff like that. So just laughing through everything and not everybody taking it so seriously. And it's cool when you're able to, you know, turn it positive and not necessarily dwell on how bad it could have been or how bad it is. So it was pretty quickly that you went back to school. Did, did life go back to normal? For the most part, I mean, I couldn't play football, but other than that- Like it hurt or the doctor said you can't play anymore? I wasn't the same. I wasn't functioning like how I, I feel like I could have or should have been functioning, you know? Was that a physical thing or a mental it, it, thing? It was, it was definitely physical. Yeah. You know, there are times now I can, my back might hurt a little differently doing something. I know I got to take it easy, but it doesn't deter me from pu still pushing. You know, if anything, when I looked at that x-ray and saw how close it was to my spine, I was like, yo, I could be paralyzed. I could not be walking now. So for me to waste that gift, me to not exercise and utilize my body, like I'm not going to do that. I got I to gotta appreciate that. So you can't play football anymore. So what was your move? What did you start to do? Oh, man. I started to get back in the weight room. I, this was my junior year when I got shot. So senior year, me trying to get back at it. Being mobile wasn't difficult, but it's just things weren't the same. I wasn't able to do certain things. Like your strength was lower? My, my strength, my, my explosiveness, right. uh, mobility in certain ways. So that was rough for me. So would you like leave after a training session and just be like, man, I can't do it? I think I was more so down on myself. You just feel a little lower when you're not able to perform at a higher level. I didn't even think what was the problem. You know, I didn't think like me being shot was the problem. You know, it was, so I was just being more hard on myself. After that senior year, I went to St. Joe's University and they don't have a football team. So it was kind of like, I wasn't really staying in shape. I played basketball with the guys or did little things like that. And then once I left St. Joe's, I went to Lincoln University. They did have a football team. So I did get back into training. You know, it didn't feel as bad by this point. And I was able to walk on a team. Still 
not at my highest level. The of, football team. Yeah, the football team at Lincoln. Why did you transfer? To be honest, uh, I got kicked out of St. Joe's. I wasn't doing as well as I should have been doing distractions, you know, and then after I left there, got my act. That's when I really got my act together. I was like, I got to take a lot of this a lot more serious. How did you go through the process of getting your act together? After St. Joe's let me go, my dad got on my case really fast. He was like, you this is not going to, you're not going to stop here. So I did a semester at community and got my grades back up and went to, my dad knew some people at Lincoln, he went there. So I was able to get in there after I get my grades back up. And I knew for me, always being somebody who's a scholar, who had honors classes, who learned, who loved to read, to go through that, I was kind of disappointed in myself. You know, I was like, no way, I'm not gonna play any games. I overloaded my class schedule, uh, became an RA, made the football team, stayed active, stayed focused. I was waking up early, going, working out. And that was like that trigger that was like, I wanna start being more focused. And, you know, it doesn't all happen all at once, but I graduated, got out of there. And then from there, that's when I got into just jumping into being entrepreneurial. You know, I just jumped in. Coming up, we'll hear how Evan would stumble upon a video of somebody doing crazy acrobatic calisthenics and how that would put him on a path towards becoming a bar athlete himself and starting Philly's first ever bar league. Stay tuned. This episode of Philly Who is supported by Pita Chip, the fast, casual Middle Eastern restaurant inspired by Syrian street food. It's just like other fast, cash spots where you can build your own salad, rice bowl, or wrap. But this one has tasty shawarma, veggies, falafel, hummus, and flavorful sauces and spices. They've got great gluten-free and plant-based options, too. Pita Chip is family-owned by two Syrian immigrants who have been in Philly for 25 years, and this year they were featured in Philly Mag's list of best shawarma in Philly. Their two locations are on North Broad near Temple, Goals, and on Market Street between Penn and Drexel, right next door to the Philly Who Studio. Order pickup or delivery today via pitachipphilly.com or via the Pita Chip mobile app. And if you use promo code PhillyWho, you'll get 15% off your first order. That offer is not valid for catering, which, by the way, they also crush. So hit them up if your office is tired of the usual pizza and bagels. Big thanks to Omar, Muhannad, and the Pita Chip family for supporting Philly Who. Welcome back to Philly Who with Evan O.G. Harden. Shortly after graduating college, OG wasn't sure exactly what it was that he wanted to do, but he knew he liked doing his own thing, creating his own path. He dabbled a little bit in the business of the music industry, but that didn't fully capture his passion, and he kept searching. At the same time, he also felt a little bored with his workout routine. He didn't really have anything to train for, and lifting weights all the time wasn't really interesting him. Little did he know, he was about to find his calling and his new workout routine where the rest of us go to get Rickrolled. I came across this one guy on YouTube and he was doing these amazing bodyweight skills. And when you see it, to people who just come across these type of things, you say, oh, that's amazing that he can do it, you know? And nothing inside of you says, I wanna do that too. What's the process? But for me, 
when I saw this guy doing dragonflies and human flags and all this other stuff that I was already kind of familiar with, I was like, there's a way to learn and get here. So I, I took a step back, did a bunch of research. I read this book called Convict Conditioning by Coach Paul Wade. I saw it and I was just looking up calisthenic stuff. I read this book and he broke down how to get from point A, you know, to point Z. And I took my time and I started off as point A. No matter how basic the movement seemed, I humbled myself and I was like, I want to learn. What does a point A look like? So, for instance, he, he broke it down into a bunch of different, six different movements that you can take to a mastery level. So let's go with the push-up, for example. So the mastery level of a push-up is to be able to do it with one arm. But if you do not have the capabilities to do the slightest pushing movement, right? You would start off doing a push-up off the wall. And after you get functional doing that, take it to the next level, drop down on the bench, lower it, do more push-ups. I, I was training out of a tennis court every day. I would just go to this tennis court, do my push-ups, do my pull-ups. I would find a pole on a fence because there's not like pull-ups bars everywhere in the city. So I found the little bar that was the post of a fence and I would do pull-ups on those. And I was doing it every day. I would go outside, hot, cold, yeah. raining. Just a random tennis court. Yeah, I was one in the neighborhood. So at this point in time, I lived in Media, PA. And it was a tennis court near in the neighborhood. And I just go over there and I do all my push-ups. They had a wall. I would do all my squats. And everything I needed was right there. So the people that, were there other people around the tennis court? <laughs> I, I think I was, for the most part, I was there by myself. By I was there by myself, you know, every day, just working on these steps. and. What was started to become beautiful about it was I didn't use not one piece of equipment this whole entire time. I've never owned a gym membership at any point in my life. I just went to the park and I worked out just like this every day, yeah. hot, cold. I was bundled up. And once I discovered this, it started to become something I really, truly love. Like just that. I was like, I love this calisthenics. I love it. For me, a lot of things weren't possible. I can only do about three pull-ups in a row. It's about 235 pounds. You know, a lot of people told me I was too big. Yo, you can't do that stuff. You're too big. Look at the gymnasts. They're, they're little. And, but I just kept going. And What uh, did you love about it? I loved learning how to manage myself. I was confident in my movements. I knew that functionally, if I needed to do something, I could do it. If I needed to pull myself up, I could pull myself up. If I fell, tripped to anything, I'm so functional and strong in these areas that I started to build more confidence. And I started to do things I didn't think I could do. You know, I was doing more pull-ups. I, I went from doing three to now I'm like hitting 17 to 20 in a row. And I'm like, wow, like I didn't think I could, I didn't even think this was possible. That led me into the world I'm in now of the freestyle component. When I started doing my research, going on YouTube, watching tutorials, just reading and learning as much as I can about how to do more in this sport. You know, first it was push-ups, and now it's like I want to do controlled handstands and front levers, and it, it just keeps growing my interest. So you were watching YouTube videos. Yeah. What were the people doing in those videos? Oh man! So when I came across these guys, these the bar stars, the bartenders, all the guys in New York, and you see the guys worldwide, these guys are doing pull-ups and, and muscle-ups and jumping over the bar. They're flying around. They're holding handstands for incredible times and doing push-ups while holding handstands. And, and I'm like, oh, so it, like, 
it's a thing. Yeah. You know, people are, are doing this. And those guys started to become like celebrities to me. I'm watching their new moves, the moves they come up with, the things they're doing. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. I want to be in this culture. Did you like have other friends who were into this or were you just kind of by yourself? I, I was by myself. And when I was by myself so much, that's when I realized I wanted other people with me. I want a community out here of guys that we get together and we work out. So what I did was I was already a personal trainer. I knew I wanted to build my name up a little more so people could know who I am so I could get other people to train calisthenics with me. So I would, living in media, I started doing boot camps at the art museum. It's about four or five years ago. I started doing boot camps. I would ride my bike from media, which is a little past Springfield Mall, going up Baltimore Pike, yeah. seven, eight miles away, ride it down to the art museum, train, do my boot camp, no matter how many people came. And I did the, I did the boot camp for free. And people would come out, sometimes it'd be one, sometimes it'd be 10. I was still out there. Would ride my bike down, work out, train, ride my bike all the way back up, Baltimore Pike. Uh, and then eventually some people did catch wind and a couple guys were like, oh, you hit the bars. Like, yeah. And so they met up with me at the art museum. We found a little park close by. We started training on the bars, started getting a group together. I left the museum alone because my goal was to find the guys to get on the bars. We started hitting the bars. And from there, we, that's how the little crew and Philly started to. So what what did the bars look like at this park that you found? Oh, so the park, 22nd and Cherry, I believe. Is it uh, Cox Playground? I believe it is. Yeah. A little tiny one. And it has like these little tiny pull-up bars. And, you know, we're watching the guys do tricks in Dykeman on YouTube, you know, flying over these bars. And we're looking at this concrete, like, what if we fall? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like how do they do it? Like, what? So we're like, you know, we're, we're making like human landing pads for each other holding our arms out and but we're out there you know doing muscle ups and pull ups and and it feels good cuz we we started to finally find other people yeah. like us we started there we started finding different gyms that had pull up bars started going to other friends gyms that had their own little spots with pull up bars start doing little tricks doing what we can practicing what we find on YouTube that's when i really want to um start my own bar stars chapter because i saw bar stars was global yeah so what was bar stars so if you're into freestyle calisthenics you know about this group you know about the bar stars you know how you know ed started this i would say brotherhood of people who turned to calisthenics to either change their life or because they saw it and they they wanted to be a part of it and it was everywhere and i was like i want to start bar stars here i would love if they came here so I found out they're having a freestyle competition in New York. It's their second one. And I was like, I got to make this. Like, if this, there's any opportunity, I got to go to this one. We go out to New York. They have the pull-up bar on the stage. And this guy, Ish, he gets on the bar and he does a pull-up. And he throws himself so high in the air that he starts doing bicycle kicks. And that initial movement, seeing it in person, blew my mind. I was like, what? I was like, people can do that? Humans can get that strong? I didn't know. Like you watch gymnastics, but the bar bounces and you know, certain other little things. But you're watching this on a hard pull-up bar and he threw himself in the air and just started, you know, looked like he was riding a bike. He had so much time in the air. And I'm like, wow. Then for their halftime, they had a muscle-up competition. For like the audience? The audience, yeah. Wow. You can hop in. And there was this long line that was gathering and you know, I know like all these guys train out here and stuff like that. So I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't get in line. And a friend of mine, 
Amy, she came up there with me and she was like, go do it. Her little bit of extra encouragement that, you know, that I, I needed at the time. And I went up there, got in line. And I just remember there was three guys before me. And so can you describe what a muscle up So is? a muscle up, you do a pull up and then you rotate your shoulders and pull your arms over and then you're on top of the it's bar. Like a pull up and then kind of a Come, push up. Yeah, then a dip straight up. You know, they aren't easy, but once you get them, you kind of get them, but they are a very difficult move. So the first guy does about 33. It's 33. <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I was like, what? And you're like in line to go do I, it in I'm, front of everybody. Yeah, I'm in line. Yeah, we're in front of everybody in line. Oh and then God. there's a gate to the line. So there's no sneaking out of the line. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking, I was like, I was, I was looking at the railing, like, can I get out? And I was like, no, it's too late. I, I'm, I'm here. So the next guy, oh man, he does about 20. So he does, you know, something ridiculous. Then the guy right before me, he does about 16 to 17. I'm like, geez. How many do you think that you can do? So I, I right before I, I did about nine to 10 for a, a tryout tape, but I knew this was my my chance because when I got to this New York competition, understand all these guys that were there were the guys from YouTube. Oh, the people that you've been inspired by. So, I, I mean, from working in the music industry, I've met people before, but never really been starstruck. I've no, That doesn't click to me, but when I met these guys, I was starstruck. I was like, that's that guy, that's this guy. You know, I've seen him on Instagram. Like I was very starstruck. So. I got up on stage, I was like, these guys, I want them to know who I am. I was like, I want them to know that Philadelphia is growing something. So I went up on stage, I grabbed the bar, the guys on the mic hyping up the crowd. I'm like, ah. Oh my God. So I do one, do two, three, four. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling okay. Five, six, I'm like, oh. I was like, six, I was like, okay. Seven, eight was getting rough. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I just have to get double digits. I got to get double digits. I do eight. I do nine. Nine was, I, I was like, oh God. And then the, the guy on the mic was like, one more, come on. And I'm like, I go for it. And it was the ugliest muscle up you could ever see. I was fighting. My arms were shaking. The bar was shaking. The crowd's like, ah. And I'm like, I got to get up. And I get up. I'm struggling. Adrenaline must've been rushing because I got on top and I got that 10. That point on, that's when I started to really know everybody out there and they knew who I was and that felt good. How did you feel when you got that 10th? Oh, when I got that 10th one and then the people that I'm looking to as stars, they're like, oh, good job, man, great reps. Like, that was good. Like, and I'm like, that felt great coming from these guys. Like, oh, wow, like that, that was just awesome to me, you know? And after I got over that hump, that actually taught me never to, really be scared to make those moves again. That was that moment where it was like, you know you can't do what these guys can do, but you can, you've been training to do something. Yeah. And they were there at some point too. Yeah, they were there where they were all there. And you know, it, it's, you, were, you forget that because of how far people come, but we were all there. So I did it and it felt amazing. And so I saw the guy, Ed, who was really, really great guy now, but I went to him, I was like, yo, I want to start a Bar Stars chapter in Philly. How do we do that? Like, how do we get it going? And he said, you know, he still congratulated me on my reps. And he was like, he knew who I was from certain other things I did. And he was like, well, we're not opening the Bar Stars, another chapter right now. And I was like, okay, you know, it happens, that's fair. But the disappointment I felt, say, like, oh, I wanted to be a Bar Star. Like, I wanted to, like, that was the thing. 
So I got back to Philly. You know, I went to my my homeboy, the professor. That's what we call him. That's that's my guy. I was like, damn, they didn't let me be a bar star. It's like, so what? He's like, we here. And I was like, you're right. Start the Philadelphia Bar League. That's us. And we started the, the Philadelphia Bar League. And in that moment, we started searching for bars. I started campaigning to have more bars out here in Philadelphia, trying to just push it. You know, I wanted this culture to build. And it wasn't even because I wanted money. I wanted somewhere everybody could come to and we could just get together and work out together at the bar, you know, outside. As we're doing this, we're like, all right, how can we get deeper into this culture? So they were throwing a competition in New York uh, called the call out. And you get to call somebody out and battle them. Oh, And, uh, you know, me thinking I'm still new in this. It was a joke. And my boy, the professor called me out. It was like, oh, battle emoji. And I was like, I was like, no, y'all playing because he's amazing. I think he's amazing. That's, you know, when I was thinking of other Philly athletes that do this, I'm like, the professor's amazing. Like, no, I can't battle you. I'm like 210 pounds and you're light. And like, so we went out there. We ended up battling. We were the first people from Philly to come in. They didn't know Philadelphia had a culture out there. Again, Bar Stars is deep. You see Bar Star shirts everywhere. Like, oh. So we come in, a, we're, we're, we're Philadelphia Bar League. We come in and we're watching all these amazing athletes just do so many tricks. Look so cool. So it's my turn to battle. I don't know what I'm going to do. We're just up there. Now when you battle. What happens? Like- so early on when I was in, right, we just see people doing tricks and the judges score saying, you know, who they felt had the better performance. So at this time, you know, you're doing 360s or like hopping over the bar. We don't know many moves. We're just doing what we can or what we've seen. And one thing I did learn is I didn't know how tiring it was. I, I did the first round and it was like, oh, I was breathing heavy. And I was like, geez, this is hard. So me and my boy battled and went into overtime. And uh, I ended up winning. You beat the professor. I beat the professor. But in his defense, he missed a move. He fell. And I knew, I was like, ah. That was your moment. That was my moment. But uh, he came back, still won a bunch. But for both of us being there and showing them that Philadelphia had the culture, again, that was another pivotal moment. When you look back, that was important that people know us now. People know who we are. That was the important part. You know, we didn't want to go up there and necessarily battle each other. We're both from Philly. Like, that's kind of dumb. But we were like, in the long run, we don't know anybody. So let's get people to know who we are. And that's what happened. And do they know you now? Oh, yeah. They, they know who I am now. We're all good friends now. You know, they were all, all good, good friends. So the bar stars are supportive of the Philadelphia Bar League. Yeah, yeah, very supportive. They've been supporting since the beginning. Having that support is is always, always good. Yeah. So it sounds like Philly now has yeah. a community. We have We have a community. How has that grown? So... Our first year as the Philadelphia Bar League, we threw our own competition out here. Didn't know necessarily what we were going to do. We just knew we wanted to throw a comp and we were going to throw it. We did it. People came out. We had it at I-Core. You know, we were able to get people from New York to come down, Jersey to come down. It was a beautiful thing. It, it was fun. Yeah. We didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we had fun and everybody else appreciated it. And every year after that, we threw another one. And I also went out to New York to battle a, a bunch of times. So it was back and forth here in New York battling. And the support was on both ends. We would go out there, support. They would come out here and support. One of the bigger years, we had our battle outside the art museum in Riverfield. That was awesome. And so we got to this point here when last year we opened up the first bar park in Philadelphia that you can go train, do pull-ups, work out outside for free. Right wow. Out. There's actually a park now outside for this. Yeah, actually a park outside. Where is it? Um, it's in South Philadelphia. It's at 
24th and Snyder at Smith Recreation Center. And you can go in there. It has some pull-up bars. You want to try out some the freestyle aspect, go out there and try that. You like just, you know, just pull-ups and push-ups and sticking to the basics. You know, you can do that too. How did that come to be? Did you go to the city and say, hey, we need one of these? So I was pushing. I had a proposal that wasn't really going anywhere. You know, people would say, oh, that's cool. And and then uh, Make the World Better Foundation, Connor Barwin's foundation, he was working on the park. And I heard that he was holding meetings at a rec center for ideas about what the people wanted in the community at the park. And I heard it was the last one. I think they were having like their final wrap up. And I went in there and there was another gym who wanted the fitness space. And they was trying to put their pitch in. And I was like, damn, I'm a little late. Shit, what do I do? But I went in there anyway with my proposal. And even though I thought it was locked in, I said, let me give my pitch anyway. So I gave my pitch and it turned out that the community actually preferred mine over that one because they didn't see the other one as conducive to the community. So when I pitched the bar park and they, they loved the idea, I got on the team. Were you surprised that they responded so well? You know, I was more surprised that I was able to get in like that. Not surprised they, they liked the idea because when you go around to California or New York or Miami or these different places, they got bars outside. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, so that didn't shock me, but what shocked me is that I was able to slide in and, and make that move. And I was just ex- excited to now that I was know that now I'm the designer, I'm the lead on that project. And, you know, they gave me this huge space, a lot more than I, than I thought I was going to get. I was like, oh, wow. So tell me about opening day of the park. So, oh man. So we're leading up to it. We're excited. You know, it's a construction site, but we're still sneaking on to jump on the bars every now and then. <laughs> they're telling me, stop. Yeah, we got to make sure they don't wiggle or nothing. Uh, <laughs> They were getting upset, but uh, you know, th- that excitement after years of trying to get it and now it's it's here, become the opening day. We got everybody out and the councilman's out. My biggest event yet. This is my biggest event. You know, the, this is where like the public public gets to really see what this is. And there's always going to be, you know, hiccups at an event, always going to be hiccups. So the first battle my guy, champion, he comes out, he does a backflip off the high bar and he messes up his knee. And I'm like, oh. This is the first thing that happens? This is the first oh. thing. So I'm, I'm concerned for my friend. You know, first moment, but your heart drops. Overall, the bigger picture heart drops. You know, you're like, oh, what are they going to think? Are these bars too dangerous? What are, just what are they going to think? But, you know, he got back up, walked it off, and the people stayed around. The kids run over, they're trying all this stuff on the bars. They're working out, they're trying to do pull-ups now. They see it cool to come over and get on the dip bars and try some dips or, and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted them to be inspired like that and like have fun like this. So they can see it's, you know, this is how you can stay in shape too. When you see this happen and you see this park, you see this manifestation, looking back to where you started watching YouTube videos, wondering, not even thinking that you could do these types of things. How do you feel? Oh man. It's overwhelming at times to just sit back and be like, wow, it was in my head. Now it's here. You know, that's due, like I said, when I got shot, my mentality changed. You know, at 16, you know, if you if you pass away, there's not a whole lot to remember you off of because you're, you're so young, so early in life, you know. And I thought to myself, damn, if I left that day, 
what would I be remembered as? And that's a real question that, you know, you, you ask yourself. Some people ask it way down the line because mortality doesn't hit them when they think about it. But for me, it happened very early thinking about if I left today, how would I be remembered? And I was I want to leave something behind. I want to always come and leave a place a little better than I found it. I never knew what that thing was. I love calisthenics. That was where my heart started to go. I love what I was doing. And I knew we needed something in our community. I knew if I was like, if I had this when I was younger and it was aware, maybe I'd have been heavier into it. So when I got that park, and when you go to that park and it says, you know, Philadelphia Bar League on the plaque, and I sit back, I'm like, wow, that's what I wanted. For more on OG and to join in on one of the Saturday community workouts at Smith Playground, you can follow him on Instagram at OG underscore fitness. The link is in the show notes. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave Philly Who a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stay tuned on Twitter and Instagram at PodPhillyWho and join the email newsletter at PodPhillyWho.com. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was recorded at the Philly Who Studio, powered by CIC, and was produced, edited, and hosted by me, with editing by Max Graham, associate production by Angela Gervasi, Lauren Hunter, and Jackson Neal, music by Lee Rosevere, and artwork by Lauren Carhart. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. Till next time.